You are listening to Detroit Craft Academy, episode number 39. Detroit Craft Academy. Detroit Crafts with Jody. Detroit Craft Academy. Hey Crafty Pals, thanks for tuning in to Detroit Craft Academy. I'm your host, Miss Jody Lynn, and this is the show where I interview artists, crafters, creatives, and entrepreneurs about what they do and how they got started. So I was up in the air about whether or not to post this show on Monday, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways, so this show will be coming out on Memorial Day. Um, I hope that everyone is having a wonderful beginning of the summer with the shows and... Uh, staying crafty. I would love to hear what you guys think of the show. Um, if you have any feedback or suggestions or just want to tell me something, go ahead and shoot me an email or you can reach out on the Facebook page. My email is DetroitCraftAcademy at gmail.com or you can always find all of that information at DetroitCraftAcademy.com. On today's episode, we talk with Olivera Bradich. Olivera is well known in the craft community for her craft shop, Holy Craft, and her modern party supply store, Surprise Modern Party, in Columbus, Ohio. These two stores recently merged to create the ultimate party and gift shop, Wildcat. Olivera, thank you for joining me on Detroit Craft Academy. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so just to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up and where did you go to school? Uh, sure. I grew up in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, a uh, suburb right outside of there. Um, and I went to Catholic school all my life uh, as a kid, uh, even though my family's not Catholic. <laughs> and then um, I went to college at Truman State University in Missouri, which is uh, a tiny school in rural Missouri. Uh, it's actually one of the country's few uh, public liberal arts colleges. So um, that's Truman's claim to fame. And um, I came to Columbus, Ohio in 2002 uh, to pursue a master's degree in women's studies at Ohio State University. Um, so, and I've been in Columbus ever since. I kind of fell in love with the city and stayed. Yeah. Um, did you come from a creative or entrepreneurial family? Uh, not maybe in the traditional sense, but... Um, I definitely have to say yes. So my parents are immigrants. Uh, my family came here from uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, which is which is part of the former Yugoslavia. Um, so they came over here in 1970. Uh, so they are very entrepreneurial in the sense that they uprooted their life and came to a new country and tried to make a go of it. Um, they both worked factory jobs their whole life and um, also at some point like bought houses, uh, like apartment buildings and were landlords. That, that's kind of like what my mom was doing when I was growing up. So, mm -hmm. uh, she is the, the DIY person in the family, uh, mm -hmm. because she could, you know, coming here with no experience in any of this, she could sort of like look at an outlet and figure out how to replace it. Um, and, and do all this work around the apartments, um, that she just kind of had to figure out how to do. Uh, so their background is very, very DIY. They were peasant farmers. Um, I always like to make the joke that, I'm like two decisions away from becoming a sheep herder in Bosnia Herzegovina, um, <laughs> because like that that was you know had they stayed that would have been my path. Yeah, um, that's absolutely what I could be doing with my life right now. Um, and so they they were not DIY as like a lifestyle choice, but it was like this is your life. Your life is to do it yourself. Um, wow. And so they, yeah, they have 
crazy stories of like um, to make bread, they would actually have to like pick the wheat and run the horses on it mm-hmm. uh, to separate it and then make flour and use that flour to make bread. Wow. So, just like a very different kind of existence. Um, so, so is your family still in Missouri? Uh, they retired and moved to Florida. So oh. you know, if you met my parents, they'd be like your typical Florida retirees. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you get involved in like the handmade and craft community? Um, while I was in graduate school, um, I, so I was pursuing the degree in women's studies, but um, I took a couple of classes in uh, folk art. Uh, and so I was, I was looking at it a little bit from an academic perspective. Um, I met a latch hook artist here in town, Whitney Lee. Um, who's sort of a big influence on like the idea of a like, craft and art. Um, and personally, I was working on helping to organize Ladies Fest Ohio at the time, which was, it was sort of a series of feminist art festivals that were happening around the country in different cities. Um, they were all kind of like grassroots DIY festivals. Uh, as part of that, they had a, a craft fair component and it was mm-hmm. just like in a church basement. And it was sort of my first exposure to, um, wow, here, here are all these people making all these interesting things that I've never seen before. Um, this was like pre Etsy days. Uh, yeah. so it was, it was exciting and new and, um, that sort of got me interested in, uh, both the, like the art and the design of it, but also the idea of like, here are people doing something totally new. Like, uh, I don't know anyone that has ever tried to crochet cupcakes and do that as a living. Um, yeah. <laughs> very exciting and new. Uh huh. So did Holy Craft start before Etsy or was it like kind of simultaneously? Kind of simultaneously, the summer that we were uh, like re- like getting the space ready to open Holy Craft was the summer that Etsy went into was in beta still, and gotcha. so like, we both launched. Yeah, uh, so we both launched that fall of 2005. Because mm-hmm. um, I was definitely using it to look up at that. I remember that summer um, to look up artists um, and to find crafters for the store. Uh, but it was not. It was like I stumbled upon it. I certainly yeah. hadn't heard of it. Nobody had heard of it. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was a very, yeah. everything was new at that time. <laughs> and where did you come up with the idea to even open Holy Craft? Cause I feel like the idea of having a handmade store, like when you started was kind of very unheard of. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, I, after graduate school, I had found myself, uh, managing a bar. This time I was working at a bar and, uh, I was a bar manager. So I was kind of like seeing the business end of a lot of things and, mm-hmm. um, sort of built a confidence in the idea that like I could run a business. Um, and I remember the first time I sort of like floated the idea by somebody. So that I was seeing all these people making all this great stuff and just had no place to sell it. There's no dedicated retail spot for, for that kind of aesthetic, uh, the things that are made in that way. Um, and so I kind of like floated the idea to a friend, like, I don't know, point around with the idea of, opening uh, a handmade store. Um, and it, it was a weird time in my life, too, uh, because I, I had not planned to stay in Columbus. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually planning on moving to New York within, like, six months uh, of graduation. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, weirdly, I was, at the time, writing a one-woman show about Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> Different time in my life, too, I guess. Wow. Um, and, yeah, so I was, I was writing a show, and I was moving to New York, and um, I had this crazy idea to open a store and I knew it was something that I could not do in New York or could not do at least for a number of years. Um, but one thing that I really love about Columbus is that like crazy ideas are accessible. 
Um, yeah. If you have an idea to do something, if you have um, this like entrepreneurial passion for something, uh, there's a community here that supports it. And so it, it was a very real possibility. And I, I once I knew that I wanted it, um, it was only six months between that idea and opening day. Mm-hmm. So um, I was just walking down the street one day uh, to the corner store and I saw a full rent sign at a window and I peeked in. It was a small space. It was about 300 square feet and uh, it was trashed. The last tenants had just trashed it. Oh, no <laughs> it way. Terrible. Yeah, it was like like old, dirty carpeting. It was just grimy and awful. It was like a junk shop that people had sort of let go and like let animals run wild in. It was a, it was a really <laughs> unfortunate space. Um, but I looked at her and I was like, man, this place is going to be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was. Uh, uh-huh. It was. Um, and I knew that with the support of my parents who knew how to fix things up, uh we could give it a shot and so they came up and helped me that summer and we ripped out that moldy gross carpeting and we gave it a nice paint job put in a new floor and ceiling and um and made a go of it and uh, so our opening was october of 2005 2000 yeah 2005 and yeah it was like 300 square feet 40 artists um it was just me working there all the time um and for uh, almost like the first four or five years really yeah yeah so that's great when that's you great. when you started the shop um did you have funding to to start it up like or was it just kind of like a like it was scrappy okay yeah <laughs> that's what i was yeah. wondering scrappy uh we started uh i mean the bulk of the cost went into renovating that space and we did all the work ourselves so uh-huh. Um, I needed $10,000 to start, and that was something I was able to uh, borrow from my parents because they had put aside some money for me to go to graduate school, and uh-huh. I ended up getting a fellowship, and so I didn't have school uh, to pay, and so they still kind of had that money set aside, and I asked them if I could borrow it, and they, I was lucky to have their support, and they yeah. sort of believed the idea and um, believe that you know hard work can get you pretty far, mm-hmm. uh, so and they were willing to help. So yeah, we did it very much on a shoestring. Um, it was all like used fixtures. It was all, um, I remember I went to an estate sale that summer that was from somebody that had closed a business in the eighties and <laughs> bags, mannequins, like all of the store stuff, um, that really got it really cheap. I remember our first bag said, Ooh, la la. Cause that was the name of this like lingerie. <laughs> that's awesome (laughs) yeah so it it was all pretty scrappy but we kind of made it work and um and and it was always you know the goal to be sustainable to Mm -hmm. like grow it sustainably and um and it took a long time uh but but it was worth it I mean I, I liked I liked that pace um I worked I still was working um the first five years at the store as an operation. Uh-huh. Um, I worked the first few years as a, as a karaoke host at night. So that was, I had a night job uh-huh. um, after the store was closed. And then I also worked uh, for a number of years in public health as a, a community coordinator um, working for the Ohio AIDS Coalition. Mm-hmm. So, what was that jump like for you when you 
decided to go full-time with your business, like, did you have any big fears? Because were you having, like, health care and stuff from, like, the jobs that you were working? Uh, yes. I don't remember how I had health care at that time. I, it, it was a time where we didn't have to have health care, and so I just kind of glided by with Oh, yeah. <laughs> for a number of years. Um, I think that was during that period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of forced to make the decision because the grant funding kind of dried up for my public health job. And it was, it was kind of a decision of like, do I pursue a career in that full time or do I go to the store full time? Um, and I, I felt like it was, it was worth it to give the store a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it, and I felt it at the time that if I put more time into it, if I had more time and energy, I could take it farther than I was able to, yeah. um, at that time. And, so it, it was a good time for it. Um, we had already expanded once by that time. Uh, we, we had that 300 square foot storefront and we were only there for about a year and a half. And then the space next door to us opened up, which was like 900 square feet. Um, and it was just a, it was, it was clean. It was, it was pretty mm-hmm. much like moving. Um, and then, you know, a few cosmetic things. So, so we kind of moved over there. Um, and we're like building a bigger store at that time. And, um, yeah, I, I don't regret that decision. How many times has Holy Craft moved since the first visit? So we had that first move in 2007 and then we moved to our current space in 2014. We've been there, uh, five years. It's, it's definitely our forever home. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Um, where did the name Holy Craft come from? That is a good question, uh, and it is up for debate. I have a couple of uh, friends who lay claim to coming up to that, coming uh-huh. up with that, um, and I honestly don't remember who it was. Um, I remember, I remember, I was toying with something a little bit more serious, like uh, oh, salvage. That's what it was, salvage. Which I, I think later there was a sewing magazine called that. Uh-huh. Um, but that that was a name I was toying with, like kind of like a serious, a little bit more boutiquey of a name. Um, and like you know, it was sort of like, a, can we get away with this goofy name? Right. Uh, and and yes, the answer was yes. Like when I you know sort of tested it out, people were like, oh yeah, holy crap, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, and and I love that name. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, so. Uh in the more recent years you created um surprise modern party uh how did that business come into fruition um that was the like 2016 uh is when we opened that summer so it was, uh, i think it was the fall before uh we had an event at the store and i went to a big box party store to get some decorations for it and I was like, wow, what a terrible shopping experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very good. Um, it was like this giant warehouse of like terrible, like aesthetically things I didn't really like. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, like racist things and like, like costumes that uh, it was. And like uh, the biggest thing was like everybody was very unhappy to be working there. Uh-huh. <laughs> the employees were just like, oh. Uh, and like, this is like the opposite of a party atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so my first thought was like, well, here's a real gap in the market. Uh-huh. Um, because I, I would like to, when I shop for events and parties, go to 
um, a place that is like fun and people can help you pick things out and mm-hmm. um, shopping for a party is like a really fun experience. Um, especially if you're like throwing at something for somebody that you care about, like it's a birthday party for some like a friend or a family yeah. member, like a shower. Like it's a it's a really it's a chance to like um, express your affection for these people uh, through these well thought out details in an event that you plan for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, a, it's a nice opportunity for that. Um, and it's just like strolling down aisle after aisle, with just like sad car. I was like, this is awful. Um, <laughs> uh, and it, a lot of stuff is sort of in the, in the party realm kind of fit with uh, a little bit of crossover with like craft and DIY, mm-hmm. um, and making things. And especially when it comes to like customizing a party, like customizing colors, yeah. um, like confetti and banners and things like that. So, um, so I kind of had the idea of doing this as a second store. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we uh, found a great space uh, in a neighborhood that is different from the one that Holy Craft uh, has been in. Um, so a totally different neighborhood in the city, a little bit more towards the city center, a little bit, I would say, posture of a neighborhood. Okay. Um, and uh yeah, so we opened this like modern party store, uh, and I learned so much about balloons so quickly. <laughs> There's a lot to learn about balloons. Really, I wouldn't even have known. Yeah, types of balloons. Uh, like the there's a lot of math about like the volume of helium in each balloon and the cost to helium and float times and yeah, it's a, it's a wild world of balloons out there. Oh, <laughs> the science of balloons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, how long has um the surprise modern party store been up and running? Uh, so it was. It was running for just under three years, for mm-hmm. like two and a half years. So we were we were in that first spot in that first neighborhood for about a year and a half, and then um, you know it was a tough decision at the time, but uh, made a decision to pull it back to Clintonville, which is the neighborhood where Holy Craft was, um, and, and big, in a large part because there was a spot that opened up on our same block. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what kind of made that decision tough is it was driven by uh, personal reasons. Um, it it was difficult, more difficult than I had imagined, to balance growing two business brands in two different locations. Um, well, at the same time, uh, in 2003, I had a kid, um, so I was raising a kid, uh, and he has his own challenges. He has uh, he has special needs. He has autism and a genetic disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires a lot, uh, a lot of attention, a lot of care. Um, and, and at the time, I was also, uh, I, I, at some point, realized I was kind of on the brink of divorce. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot going on personally. So I'm like, I'm facing this, like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a divorce. I'm going to be the primary parent to a kid that needs a lot. Yeah. Um, I just don't have it in me right now at this stage of my life to be successfully running a business that is not that is sort of like outside of my poor life. Right. Um, you know, Holy Craft is in a bit of business I've been running for a very long time. I live in the neighborhood where the store is. Um, and even just this like tiny commute, it's like 10, 15 minute commute um, was just too much. Um, so uh, brought it home, brought it to our neighborhood, yeah. moved it 
learned a lot. Uh, and that's, in that sense, the biggest thing was being able to share staff mm-hmm. um, and be able to have like one staff that is working out of both stores. Um, and when things get busy at one store, they can kind of run back and forth and help each other out and um, kind of growing one team uh, instead of having like totally separate everything. So yeah. um, uh, it was it was a hard decision to make because uh, at the time it, it felt like a failure. Um, and, but like looking back and I was like last year, uh, totally the right decision. Yeah. The right decision, um, to like keep myself sane and my family doing well as me and my son, mm-hmm. um, had the right decision. So. Yeah. And recently you've decided to completely merge those two businesses and have a new store called Wildcat. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, how that came to be? Yeah, uh, that's exciting. We just changed the name and did the merger last month. So mm-hmm. uh, it's still very fresh and, and very exciting. And um, so something that we had been struggling with at Holy Craft uh, was actually the name. Um, because of Craft in the title uh, of a retail store, people assumed that it was like a Joanne's or a Michael's, uh, like a craft supply store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of always gotten that um, to some extent. Uh, and then I feel like it really ramped up in the last couple of years uh, where we were just like constantly fielding calls about different craft supplies that we didn't have. Um, and, and people just sort of like writing us off as something that we didn't, we weren't. So like we were not communicating who we were and what we had in the mm-hmm. store very well. Um, and it, it really, uh, and we kind of, we didn't know, we talked about this internally, um, like our team and like what to do about this. Um, and it was kind of, we decided to close the supply closet, uh, part of the store, which was a, um, it was a recycled craft supply, uh, area. So it was kind of like a pay what you want craft supply area, um, that was in the, the back corner of the store. And we had been running that since before the move, we had been running that for like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. Uh, it was a great resource, um, but it was not something necessarily that was growing. Um, it was just kind of like, uh, you know, it was not something that like more and more people were interested in. Um, it was kind of a little bit stagnant. Um, and it, it, when people called and said like, oh, do you, do you sell yarn? And we're kind of like, well, yes. But we have this corner where you can get some yarn. Yeah, kind of pay what you want. It's like a very hard concept to yeah. <laughs> phone that quick (laughs) and we carry 200 different artists and it it was again like just sort of like miscommunication yeah totally yeah so it never occurred to me to change the name of the store i was like that's not something people do you can't change the name of a business that has been around for more than a decade Mm -hmm. um you can't do that and then uh one day my kid picked up our business card he was looking at it and he's trying to like sound out words. So he sees the W and the C and he's like, wildcat. I'm like, that's not what that says. Come on, buddy. I was like, holy, you know, you know the name of the store. Come on. Holy crap. Holy crap. And he looked at it and he was like, wildcat. That's the name for a store. It is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good name. <laughs> um, and, and I thought about it. I was like, what if we change the name? Uh-huh. What if? We, we, we're not changing anything like we're not changing who we are mm-hmm. we're not changing what we carry we just changed the name well um, and, and you have a, you had a cat in your logo to begin with yeah yeah 
Absolutely. Uh, we had a cat and a logo. I was like, we could just like keep the same sign, change the letters, keep the logo, just change the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the people that know us and love us uh, might be like a little bit put off, like what's going on? And they walk in and be like, oh, no, it's the same place. Yeah. Um, and and it would allow us to like reach people that did not understand what we were before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So we made the decision to do that first, actually. And so meantime, in the meantime, Surprise is still, like, plugging away uh, mm-hmm. down, down the block. Um, and then it was after that, uh, we, we kind of, like, decided to go through the Christmas season this past season, like, go through it thinking about, like, what would this look like if we were changing our name? Like, would this uh, would this work? Um, and we went through it, and it came out, uh, you know, at the end of December, like, yeah, let's do it. Let's give it a try. Uh, and then it was like, you know what, let's, let's bring surprise in. Let's just combine the stores yeah. um, and, and do it as one store. Cause we were so excited about the wildcat change. Um, and the, this new, like pushing this new direction. Um, they were like, Oh, here's surprise getting left behind again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not getting the attention that it needs as like a growing business, a business that is new, um, and really needs some, um, really needs some support behind it. Uh, and, and we can't get so excited about this project that we kind of leave this to flounder. Um, we're like, oh, let's just do it as one. Uh, and what that allowed us to do is moving surprise in, uh, we still have this 1,000-square-foot space that we're renting on the same block. Uh-huh. So, uh, another problem that we were having is um, we didn't have enough uh, space for our workshops anymore um, at Holy Craft. We were kind of like had everybody back in a supply closet we could fit 10 people maximum and that's mm-hmm. like really getting squeezed in. Um, and it was, it was not the most comfortable place to take a workshop. Uh, so I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have like, uh, like a place where people feel comfortable. It'd be a lot of people, more people in the class. We could do events. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're taking that surprise space and, um, turning it into all of our workshops and events, uh, and doing party rentals there, uh, which works really well with the party store. Um, yeah. so rent it out for a birthday party uh, and even do like a decoration package with it. That is like the theme of the birthday party. Um, so like, like, Oh, my kid is turning eight. I want a space themed birthday party. And you walk in and everything is decorated, ready to go. Um, it's like a parent's dream. Yeah. <laughs> do all of that and like pick up the balloons on the way to the party. And um, so, yeah, so we're really excited about that. Um, we're in the midst of renovating the, the, we're calling it the confetti house because it was painted confetti as a party store. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we're in the midst of doing that like this week, next week. And then, uh, the big open house for that is going to be on June 9th. So, um, yeah, oh, lots that's of big changes in a short amount of time. exciting. Wow. Yeah. So the, so the, the location that was the party store is now going to be for workshops and all of that kind of stuff. Yep. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So it's, and it's like right down the street. Yeah, it's, it's right on the same block. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so talk a little bit about the cat in your logo, too. Like, has that buttons, right? Is that the name of the cat? Uh, Dottie. Dottie, okay. Um, has Dottie always been in the logo? And, like, now she's, like, kind of a character that, like, is, like, a full costume. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the origin of Dottie is um, 
she we got the first logo, the first like craft logo. Uh, this is how scrappy and DIY we were at the beginning. It was uh, I cut a picture out of an old sixties craft book, um, and it was a little girl in a party dress who had like was holding her fingers above her head um, and shouting. And I was like, oh, that's a cute picture. And so I cut that out. And I wrote Holy Craft next to it. It was like, sort of like zine style where I was like cutting and gluing things mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. And then I went to Staples and got them printed out. I was like, these are my business cards. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're printed on card stuff. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so that was our first logo, that little girl. Um, and then when we moved into the bigger space in 2014, um, we were like, oh, we should do a little bit more branding. Um, and... So then we actually worked with somebody like, oh, what if we take that little girl and just replace, uh, like kind of like redraw the girl and replace her head with a cat? Uh, like, yes, 100% yes. This was, uh, this was the idea of Amy Nyworth of Sweet Stella Designs here in Columbus. We were sitting next to each other at a craft fair. And I was, kind of, I was talking through this problem. Like, oh, we don't know how to do it. She was just kind of like sketching stuff out. She was like, oh, what if you just like replace it with a cat head? I was like, that is perfect. That's so, awesome. Yeah, so... Uh, so she, Dottie, the cat girl, uh, came about in 2014 and then it was around that same time. We're like, Oh, what if we got a mascot head, uh, like got an actual, like full life-size Dottie. Um, and so we worked with open heart creations, which is a uh, puppet studio here in Columbus. Uh-huh. Um, they do these like big scale puppets at events and things. And, um, she does fantastic work. Um, and we commissioned a cat head um costume and uh my friend amy of uh formerly of amy d um she made the dress and yeah we had a we had a mascot so we've been we're trying to like pull her out and like use her more um too because like yeah we like a costume character <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's fun so who gets to dress up like uh daddy is that usually you <laughs> it's usually me <laughs> Uh, if, if we're not at the store, um, then and somebody else uh, will we'll fill in as Dottie. We've had multiple Dotties uh, over the years. Um, so it's fun. Like, uh, my friends try and guess, like, when we post photos, like, is it me in the costume? Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> right. Um, so you also, uh, take your store kind of live to fairs and stuff like that too. Um, when did you start doing that? And, um, how has that been for you to do fairs to kind of advertise for your store? Uh, absolutely. We did it right from the beginning and I think it, it was the best way we could have grown the business in those early years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was at fairs all the time, anytime they were going on in Columbus, um, and I still think that the, any opportunity that you have to talk to someone about your business face to face and meet them, um, it is better marketing for you than like the coolest Instagram post you could ever post. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so the, it was actually the very first craft and outlaws was one or two weeks after we opened the doors at Holy Craft in 2005. So that was our first. Uh, craft fair in town. It was really the first one of the one of the first uh, big indie craft fairs mm-hmm. in Columbia. So, um, so right away we did that one, and we were uh, we were at the very first crafty supermarket in Cincinnati. Um, I, I did a little bit. I did a lot more traveling, I should say, uh, before I had my kids. 
um, yeah. traveling craft fairs. Uh, definitely, uh, Detroit was one of my favorites. Uh, Detroit Urban Craft Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that was like always a super super fun weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I did art versus craft a couple times. Renegade Craft Fair. Um, yeah, did did a lot of traveling in those early years. Um, yeah. which which was. It, it's, it's funny because like we're a Columbus-based store. We've never really done a lot of online sales, but uh, doing the craft fairs is what helped me feel connected to something that was bigger than just this like one store, one thing that we were doing in Columbus. Right? This is like something happening everywhere. Um, there are artists everywhere making this incredible work, um, and so traveling and seeing all this stuff in person also allowed me to like help bring some of that back to Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I I really enjoyed the 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 craft the feeling of like a growing craft community, a handmade community. Um and, and fairs helped really like sort of strengthen that. Um we certainly had that in Columbus. Um yeah, for sure. And we were, yeah, like a, we were definitely a part of that from from the beginning. Uh, we did the Columbus Crafty Cotillion was like a, a group that I was a part of for like we were around for maybe like five or six years. Um, and we met like the first Monday of the month, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a place where people who were trying to make a go of this as a business could get together and commiserate and, uh, share tips and tools and resources. Um, and, and also like come together and really talk about like, what, what is the handmade community in Columbus mean? What does it mean? Like, how, how do we support each other? How do we make this sustainable? Um, kind of like, we don't have to do this alone. Um, that was a great group. Um, yeah. yeah. So as someone who has been in the craft market for the past 15 years, how have you seen the market change? Oh, wow. Uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of, uh, even like the terminology, uh, I mean, just, this is sort of fresh in my head is, um, when we talked about removing craft from our store name, um, we talked a lot about what craft meant to people 10 years ago is not like that word is used less um, mm-hmm. to talk about the actual work, the work that people are doing, the businesses they are running um, less and less people are describing that as craft. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and we've always like, used the term handmade and um, I don't know. Uh, it's hard. The the people that were in the, people that were in the cotillion 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a uh, tiny fraction of them still do it, are still in the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, people's lives change. People change careers. People uh, grow families, change families. <laughs> you know, uh, people move away. Like, people's lives change. Um, but I think that for some people, uh, it, it has become like a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can, you can absolutely see that. Um, and I think what makes us what is necessary to make a handmade business sustainable is sustaining your passion for it. Um, you have for to wake sure. up and you don't want to do it. Um, and totally understandably, um, at some point people are like, I'm not into this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, this is no longer like fueling my fire. Um, and, and it's okay. People change careers all the time. Yeah. Um, change, so yeah, directions with their art, people change directions with their craft and, you know, people change directions with their yeah businesses and what they want to do with their lives. Yeah. Um, so I think that like that said, you know, it, it looks, the faces are very different than they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. 
Um, but there's always people that are just discovering that spirit. Um, there's always people that are just discovering that passion mm-hmm. uh, and, and just getting into it for the first time. And that, that rush of being at a craft fair and somebody wants to pay me for this. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like people are experiencing <laughs> that for the first time all the time. And um, I think that one thing that I kind of see our role as, as being this like, you know, staple place that has been here for 15 years and been doing this for so long um, is to keep supporting those people. Yeah. Um, keep supporting those people that are just starting out, that are just learning, um, be a resource for those folks. Um, and, and being a resource looks different now than it did 10, 15 years ago. Like mm-hmm. I can't go to a bar once a month and <laughs> meet with a bunch of people. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> don't have it in me anymore. Uh-huh. Um, well, as, but... as a shop owner, you've kind of like a different perspective on craft because you get to see the trends and like what people shop for. Um, yeah. how do you stay on top of trends and how do you choose items for your shop? Um, I still think that uh, craft fairs are the best place to stay on top of trends because um, where trends come from is artists uh, and it comes from people making things um, that they like to make and then like, oh yeah like, a sort of aesthetics a certain aesthetic becomes popular so there's more resources to look at that now you can look at Instagram you could look at mm-hmm. you know social media sort of thing too um, but I, I think that like artists working and directly trying to sell their work is where interesting things come from. Yeah. I think that when you're looking at Instagram, when you're looking at Etsy, you see um, what what people have seen um, and are sort of working, like imitating. Um, mm-hmm. And you see a lot of that. And now, I mean, with, with the proliferation of Instagram, things like that, it's like you see it on Instagram and you see it on the shelf at Target six months later. Yeah, totally. Um, that that turnaround time is very different than it was 15 years ago. Um, when you see sort of an aesthetic building, um, it would like we also we would have a good solid like year or two with it, where it was something that we were carrying that was not available um, anywhere else because mm-hmm. people were sort of slow to pick it up. Um, and we were we were around before Facebook got popular, before any of that. Um, so like we'd have time with a trend before, but now it's like, oh, this is really popular. Target is on it and they have somebody in the factory making it like the next week and it's going to be on shelves in a couple of months. So you yep. have no, they have uh, scouts at craft fairs too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been weird. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's been very, very strange, but it's something to get used to. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that luckily for us, um, our I feel like our store is only partially built on aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that so so it's, it's both that we have like solid relationships with our artists um, and a, a, sort of a good reputation. I think generally within like our communities and but I think that also like we've really invested in our neighborhood, um, so we've become like the neighborhood gift store. Um, people in the neighborhood like love our store um, and shop with us consistently. Uh, we're on the path of the farmer's market. So people come in every Saturday morning when they come to the farmer's market, they pop in, see what's new. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. We've had this ability to like build relationships with people over the years. Um, that is 
it is more than even yeah it's what things like look like mm-hmm. um they, they want even if it you know the same thing is at target they want to buy it from us yeah. um because they they want to support an, a business in their neighborhood that supports the neighborhood mm-hmm. um around like does things for people in the neighborhood um that has been that's been the greatest joy i think for me of running the business is um now for 15 years like i've seen families grow up i've seen people grow up um and that's been pretty wild uh to see people like coming in on like their early date you know yeah uh, uh, you know seeing couples who like oh i'm going to his parents house for christmas for the first time and like i don't know what to get his mom like you know helping this like you know person shop for that and then like i see them with their kids and i see their kids grow up yeah Uh, that has been that has been the best part Mm -hmm. oh that's awesome um, so do you have any tips for makers who approach shop owners and what are some of your biggest pet peeves when people approach, uh, your shop to sell their goods? Yeah. Uh, I think that if the shop has developed a system to accept submissions, follow that system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like, if, if the shop is telling you, this is the way to approach us, like look for that information and follow those instructions. Like we had to figure out what approach works best for us. Um, and, and, and we tweak it from time to time. And um, I think we're still continuing to tweak it. Um, but yeah, I think that's the like, and if there's no, if usually people will put out some kind of information about like, if you want to sell your work here, this is how you approach it. Um, but if you don't find anything, then, you know, a simple email uh, mm-hmm. with, with an attachment of all the information, everything that they would need to see links or an attachment to everything that they would need to see to make a decision in that one email, um, is, is, is the best way to go. Um, with like a simple follow-up. Um, I think that for us, like what, what doesn't work. And I think that this rarely works in shops is, um, when people come in physically with their things, um, and like, uh, sort of expect you to drop whatever you're doing, and like look at their stuff and make this evaluation uh like right then and there and make a decision um I think well, that and what an awkward situation to be in <laughs> very very much so um and it, it it doesn't happen as often as it used to happen it still happens for sure uh-huh. um, but uh in the early days it definitely happened we had to officially make it a policy that we will not look at anything in person uh i, I call this my clown story uh, this lady came in as I was, um, eating sandwiches, uh, like it was eating my sandwich, uh, for uh-huh. dinner at the counter. Um, and as one does when they're the only employee. Right. <laughs> and, um, someone comes in, like, oh, you have something great to show you. You're going to love this. This is going to sell like wildfire at your store. Um, and I put my sandwich down and then like she proceeds to pull out porcelain clown after porcelain clown. <laughs> filling the counter with porcelain clowns and the entire, like I put my sandwich down and the, it's like being surrounded by porcelain clowns. And the entire time she's coughing, like not covering her mouth, coughing. And uh, like she's coughing. <laughs> and coughing she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I've been really sick. <laughs> oh my God. Did you throw your sandwich out? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> uh, threw the sandwich out. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to, I, I personally have some trouble saying no sometimes. Yeah. Um, so how did that uh, situation is, yeah. go down? Like, 
I I learned to say no in that yeah. situation. Like, oh uh, like, okay, thank you for coming in. You know, this is going to be a hard no. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the, I mean, it, that still actually remains like the hardest thing for me is to say no. Um, that's that's a clear example of what's not going to work. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I have tears too, in right? my eyes right now. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of gray area. Um, there are things that, and and now like I know my team well enough, and we've been around long enough. So it's, there are things that I personally love that just do not sell. Mm-hmm. They do not sell in the store, um, but I like always want to give it a shot. <laughs> and um, so, so those sometimes I think are interpreted as like it's like I don't like it or something. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a personal thing. That's what I've tried to like convince myself like I gotta have a better boundary of that because like it's not personal like there are things that I absolutely love that will not sell yeah um, situation that like doesn't help anybody um, just business yeah it's business mm-hmm. um and you know if I like it I should just buy one for myself and love it um yeah. and like trying to force it down everybody's throat <laughs> yeah that's one thing that's like it's one thing that I've definitely learned over the years with just like being a handmade artist and all this stuff too is just like and like you know knowing all the people that we do in the craft community is like it's really hard sometimes for people to separate like oh i i put all of this work into this item and like it's not that your item is like less valuable or it you didn't have all of this like stuff you know like all of this great energy making it it's just it won't sell here that's business like <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah. And it's like, I think so, with because of how close people are with their businesses with handmade goods, like they do have an emotion to it. And you kind of have to take that away sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I mean, for us, it got to the point where we, we had real like inventory issues for a while. Like, where you just like, we're too flooded with inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, we had too much on the shelves. Um, because I couldn't send things back to people. Like, even though, like, they clearly weren't selling, we sold two in the last year. Yeah. Uh, like, I still, like, wanted, and, um, yeah. And that's where it's, like, it's, it's helpful to have the support of, like, our staff and our team. Um, that, like, it's also not a, like, all weighing on me decision. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, people say, like, it's okay to say no. Yeah. Um, so that's so the first four years you actually worked by yourself, right? When did you start to hire people and uh like how was that now you have like a pretty solid team. How has that like played out for you since you started hiring people? Um, yeah, I mean it this it, it has ups and downs. Like we just started with like part time staff and um a lot of it was people that could uh work the store while I was at a cracker. Um mm-hmm. so the kind of like weekend staff and um and I think we had our, we didn't have our first full-time person until uh, we moved into the new store in 2014. So that was, yeah, five years ago, mm-hmm. we had our full-time person, a manager, um, who's still our manager today. Nice. Yeah, and she's fantastic. Um, and so now we have a staff of 10 or 11 um, with two being full-time, two being half-time, it was about 25 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been great. Uh, it's, so it's, for me, that's kind of like the last like year or two of the business has been about, um, thinking about the future of this team mm-hmm. and thinking about 
like in terms of like long-term sustainability and like I want to be in a position to give people in like a meaningful job, a job that they um, like coming to, that they feel supported in mm-hmm. and that also like supports their life, that yeah. it, they can live on this job, that it is sustainable and it is, um, and it is a job that grows. Um, and so a lot of, when I think about the, the growth of the store, it's because I want to grow this team of awesome women and give them more opportunities and pay them more. And, mm-hmm. um, like that is my, now sort of my biggest, like motivation, um, for growing the business is that like, I, I want to give this opportunity of work to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so like I, next week I'm paying someone's health insurance for the first time. And I'm very excited. Like oh, that's that, awesome. Yeah. I like that. That makes me feel good. That motivates me to want to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it has always motivated, like working with our artists and helping grow those businesses has always motivated me. Like that's yeah. always, um, like and seeing people's businesses over the years grow has been fantastic. Um, that being a part of that has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so that's always been pushed. And now it's the added uh, thing is growing our staff and like, yeah, giving people careers, mm-hmm. uh, not just like, you know, a weekend job, but something that like they're, they do and they're proud of doing, um, mm-hmm. to say, and they want to help grow a business. Um, we certainly would not be where we are today, uh, without all of the work of our manager for the last five years, without the other full-time staff and the part-time staff that, um, you know, don't, don't just clock in and work a register, but actually help like contribute to the growth of the business. Um, so that has been a significant change from when I started certainly. And even within like the past couple of years, um, and that's been fantastic. I'd like, I feel like I have coworkers and yeah, and wonderful. And, um, you know, it's, it's the, the added weight of the responsibility of like being responsible for their livelihood. <laughs> So, totally. you know, yeah, like, you know, don't mess up, <laughs> make good decisions. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but, um, but, but I welcome that challenge. And it's, yeah, again, it's a very much a motivating factor to grow the business. Yeah, for sure. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you personally have had to overcome running your own business? Um, personally, uh, a couple of things that I've mentioned, like, learning to say no, learning Mm -hmm. that not everything is personal, um, that there are decisions that you have to make that are best for the business. Um, that maybe is not a decision that you would make personally. Mm Um, yeah. So putting business interests in there, um, the idea that when something doesn't work out, feeling like, uh, like I failed at something, um, that has been something to get over. Like, no, it's not a, it's not a failure. Um, life didn't fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, even if like the store went bankrupt tomorrow, it wouldn't be a failure. Um, we've had like, this is, um, and and things change and it's, and you know, things that you think are going to work out, don't work out and it doesn't make it a failure. It makes it like the next thing you have to grow from. Yeah, Um, for sure. That's a beautiful way to look at it too. Or what are some of the current challenges that you're facing with Wildcat? Um, currently, uh, with the name change being so new, uh, it's, it's getting people on board with 
who we are now and realizing that it's not that different than what we were before. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that, that's kind of like the big picture of the change is, um, yeah, like letting people know who we are, doing a better job of communicating who we are. Um, that is a challenge right now. And um, it's so the, the rental party rental business is new for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like a new thing that we're um, trying to figure out. And it's, it's definitely a new element of the business. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's a big challenge for us now um, <laughs> in a, in a minor day-to-day way. Um, it's amazing how many places your business name is <laughs> and like how many little things you have to change. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's still under the old name. It's like <laughs> oh, it's like moving and it. changing your your like or like changing your phone number or something. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And like ten years later, you're still getting like phone calls to your old number, right? Uh huh. Like, yeah. You know, you're yeah. <laughs> um. So time management can be difficult when running a business, particularly man- managing time between work and family. Do you have any tips for time management? Um, I am not the best person to ask about time management, I will say, because I'm, I'm historically not great at it. But um, especially in very recent times, um, I've tried this new sort of uh, productivity thing that I really like and I'm kind of like an evangelist about right now. Yeah? <laughs> um, yeah. So it is with so many irons in the fire at any given time, um, I always felt like I was behind on every project. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would go in with these goals of like, I want to get this far on this project today. And I just, I wouldn't get there and I'd get distracted. And, um, it was, it, I, I felt like I was constantly like just not getting enough done. Um, and so I, I this is just like in a book I read about like productivity and it was, um, it was about blocking out your time and looking at it in terms of time spent on a project instead of, uh, the completion of a certain thing in a project. So, okay. yeah, so I, so now I go in and I've blocked my day as like, okay, this hour I'm going to work on writing new copies for the website. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to have a 15 minute break after that, uh, where I just go and like goof around and, you know, <laughs> do whatever, do whatever I want. Right. Like, I, yeah. uh, I just like, you know, chat with coworkers. Um, and then, so you have this built in goof off time too. Right. And then you go back for an hour and mm-hmm. you spend one hour solidly working on um, something else, like a, like another, like, oh, I'm planning this event. You, the event planning goes into this one hour um, and then another 15-minute break, and you block your day like that. And some tasks are a half hour, some are an hour, um, and in that block is email. Um, mm. As an hour that you've blocked out to root through your inbox and, and go through it, um, and, and you're not checking it outside of that. Yeah. Uh, that's like that's like a a huge thing because like I know well it's just like that and Instagram oh my gosh like yep, I will yep. check Instagram and then forty five minutes will go by and I'll be like damn it I was supposed to do something else hundred percent all the time uh-huh. all the time here um, that happened to me constantly and I and I would go on to do something even like work related like oh I'm gonna post this thing on Instagram and then like yeah forty five minutes later haven't done it yet yep. <laughs> like some rabbit hole or something. Um, <laughs> So, so what it, what it is, like what I love about working in this way is that I am, I know that I've put in the time Mm -hmm. and I'm content with that. Um, and I I don't set expectations about like, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this far. Um, because like I put in the time, I did it. 
uh, like there's nothing else I could have done. Um, I put in the time and like, it gives me a more realistic sense of how long things are going to take, which mm-hmm. is always longer than I actually think they're going to take. Um, and like how much time this project is going to take to complete. So it, and you get that sense of accomplishment, no matter, as long as you stay on task, mm-hmm. you have accomplished your work, no matter how far you got, you put the time in and you did it. And then when you put in those however many hours you're working that day, you go home and you say, I put in my day. Yeah. Um, no matter how far you got. Um, and then I, I feel working that way, like more comfortable at home, carving time for, um, I mean, I always carve time for my son. Um, but also carving time for myself after that, when he goes to bed, like mm-hmm. I don't feel the urgency to go right back to work. But yeah. I have to, sure. Well, that's, that's um, yeah, huge yeah. is taking time out for yourself too. Do you have uh, like a regular morning practice or routine that kind of helps you ground yourself? Uh, on days that my son is with his dad, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on days that I'm with him, it's just like chaos. Um, <laughs> it's just like, let's get up, let's go to school. Where are your buddy grants? You know, <laughs> it's just like a very like chaotic morning. Mm-hmm. Um Usually in those situations, I do have time after I drop him off at school to sort of come back and like sort of center myself a little bit for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still in a preschool, so um, he's only there half day. Um, but usually I can have a little bit of time um, to do that. But I generally like to, uh, I do not check email first mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I did that for a long time and that was very bad for me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just like I started scattered. I started on like a level of stress. Um, so now what I do is like, I drink my coffee. Um, uh, there's something that like, I, again, I just read somewhere that I, I liked that was like, take like 30 minutes in your morning. If you have it, um, some mornings I don't, um, read a little, write a little, move a little. Yep. Um, and so just like a little something. So yeah, I will just like roll through a couple yoga poses like read like a you know like a chapter out of a book or like mm-hmm. a few pages um write a little reflection of something um just kind of get my brain thinking um yeah. i generally like put that schedule together for the day like that's when i do that and that like once i've kind of done that meditate for like i will meditate very often for two minutes three minutes yeah. just kind of like block a teeny tiny bit of time um yeah i've i've been sitting in my car at like preschool pickup and just like set the timer on my phone and just meditated for like two minutes. I'm like, oh, here, I'm here two minutes early. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the time just to breathe and like recenter before like we get crazy again. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's awesome. We got to get it in when you can get it in. <laughs> anytime, anytime, yeah. <sighs> um, so if you could go back in time and give yourself advice, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. I spent a long time in my business um, thinking I just, I had to do it on my own as an entrepreneur. Like this was, this was my business. This is my thing. Um, I, I should just be doing it, but like ask for help, ask for advice. Um, I, I never uh, approached someone to be my mentor. That's something I regret mm-hmm. um, to have like struggled, like figure out all of this on my own where um, like, there are people out there that would be happy to help. Um, and right. I feel like, yeah, 15, like uh, for some people, I, I think feel like I'm in a position to help. Um, and, and I, I want to give back in that way. 
Um, and there were people when I was starting out that would have wanted to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I had this idea that like, oh no, if I'm doing it on my own, I got to do it on my own. Um, yeah. so I have to help. I think it's scary when you don't know what you're doing or when you feel like you don't know what you're doing and you don't want to admit to it because you're trying to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like huge. Like, no, I got this idea. I want to do it this way. This is how it's going to be done. And you don't know what I want, so I'm not going to ask you for help. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So what has been the weirdest, funniest thing anyone has ever said to you in your shop or at an art fair? Ooh, the weirdest, funniest thing. Um, so this is the classic question that everyone gets at craft fairs and usually it's a legitimate question, but I never understood it when people walked into the store, but, Oh, do you make everything here? <laughs> and in an like, <laughs> entire retail store, uh, like, yes, we carry handmade things, but like, uh, I am not that prolific <laughs> to have made every single item in this store and also be like sitting here like working at the cash register. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so yeah, bless your heart for thinking that I am that talented Uh and that prolific because I am not. (laughs) That's amazing. So, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, how can they do so? Yeah. Uh, so wildcat gift and party is who we are now. So uh, my email address is wildcatgiftandparty at gmail.com. Um, that's the store. And then, uh, you know, I'm Oliver Brash. I'm easy to find uh, a very recognizable name for better, for worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like my email address is just oliveira.bradish at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, Oliver, thank you so much for taking time out to chat with me today. Oh, thank you. This has been really great. And that concludes episode number 39. If you would like to find out more about Oliveira and Wildcat, Head on over to DetroitCraftAcademy.com where you can find links and pictures of her shop. And if you like the show, head on over to iTunes and give the show a review. Detroit Craft Academy. Detroit Crafts with Jody. Detroit Craft Academy. And until next time, keep on crafting your dreams.